Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Leslie Peters, who I'm like bouncing up and down in my chair. She's one of um, my favorite people on the planet, and I followed her for a very long time. And she is with the Peters Group in Atlanta, Georgia. And she is business partners with her husband, Andy. So we'll kind of dive into all of that. But Leslie, um, again, I'm going to sound stalkery because I feel like I've followed you for a really long time. But Tell us some stuff about yourself, because I feel like you have an interesting story, what you used to do before real estate, how you got into all of that. Absolutely. So I have been in real estate for 14 years. I cannot believe it. I actually graduated with a business degree from college, and it was right when 2009-11 happened, right? So 9-11 happened, and I ended up taking a job and was working in State Farm Insurance in a cubicle, and I just could not stand it. I was like, my high eye personality needed to be around people, and there weren't a lot of jobs available at the time, so I went back and got my master's in teaching. And I actually taught kindergarten and first grade for five years. And I loved the kids, but I knew long-term that I did not have the patience to have my own children, which I wanted, um, and teach 22 little six and seven-year-olds all day long. So I decided it was time to go back into the business world. And ironically, my parents said, have you ever thought about real estate? And I was like, no, I haven't. And so I got my real estate license while I was teaching at night. And um, I just, I started working part-time teaching. I was actually teaching every day and then part-time in real estate at night. In my first year, I closed 12 deals and I had my first baby and I was working in real estate probably what, 30 hours a week, um, maybe less. So I just got a really quick start and then came back that second year and doubled my business and was making as much money as my husband. And he was managing salespeople. Actually, I think he was managing like 30 salespeople across the Southeast. He was on the road Tuesday to Friday every week. We had a newborn. We had no family in town. And after two or three years of me doing real estate by myself, I said, something's got to change, right? Like I either need to hire someone, I need to jump on a team or, um, I really started begging my husband, Andy, to get in. Yes. So that's kind of how it all started. How long did it take for Andy to come over to the dark side? Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm not even a crier, guys. Like, I am super high D, like driver, 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 and I rarely cry. I think I cried for like six months because Andy, in the beginning, thought real estate was like a hobby. And so he didn't see the need for like full-time childcare. So I was juggling this real estate career, closing like 24 deals a year, making about $150,000. And it looks like a hobby, right? Like it looks like something I'm just doing on the side for fun, like a side hustle. And inside I'm like dying, right? I had 
a two day a week babysitter, um, no family in town. And he's on the road Tuesday to Friday, every single week. And when he would come in on Friday, I literally would cry all weekend. Like, don't go back to work next week. Right. And I mean, we're passing the baby, like Saturday morning comes. I'm like, okay, here you go. I'm going all day showing property. And I was really heavy buyers at that time. I was 27. I was 27. I think when I started begging him to come in and so I was just with buyers constantly. And you guys know, if you don't have a lot of listing business, you're just working all the time. And um, I literally, Lindsay, I cried for six months. And he finally was like, okay, enough. He was like, I'm going to try this. So he jumped into real estate. You guys are going to laugh about this. 2008, August of 08. You remember when the market crashed? Oh. <laughs> we had just bought this... Um, we just like gone from like a 1500 square foot house to like a 3200 square foot house like two months prior and I remember like we were doing snow angels in the carpet like we could not believe this house like oh my gosh and then finally in August Andy's like you know what I'm gonna jump into real estate with you and so we gave up his $150,000 salary he always tells the story that he gave up his corner office, you know, and he becomes Leslie's husband. And now it's quite the opposite because he runs three Keller Williams market centers in Atlanta. So now I'm kind of Andy's wife. <laughs> Funny how times change. Yeah, those were, um, those were really, really hard times for sure. I mean, that was very scary, especially for him to come into the business at that point. So tell people where the business is now, because it's incredible. Yeah. So last year we had a little bit of a down year. We finished at about 250 units, 88 million. The year before we were a little over 300 units for 120 million. Um, so we're hovering in that 250 to 300 range um, the past few years. And for years, Andy and I had divided the operations in the sell side. Because once I had our second child, I felt like both of us could not be attending listing appointments and working with buyers all the time. And so we really started saying, okay, how can we grow this team so that our family has the best impact, right? right. And so I took over the operation side and Andy took over the sales side. I think a lot of people at that time, like a lot of agents that have been in the business in Atlanta for 40 years were like, guys, I don't know how you do this. Like I've been working so hard for so long and I have not gotten my business to that point. And I really think it goes back to the personality types. It's, have you guys read that book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek? Mm -mm. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite books. And in that book, he talks about the, the why and the how personality. And how if you look at every successful business, they have a why person, like the big visionary. And then they also have the how person that's like implementing like how to get it done. And when I read that book, I started to understand why Andy and I had had the success we did because he's this big visionary, but he's not the implementer. And I'm the implementer. Like if, I mean, I am all action all the time. So if it's, we're going to do 300 units this year, or we're going to do 400 units. It's like, okay, I'm going to build this systems and I'm going to build this staff to make that happen. And by golly, we're going to do it. And um, I, I think the best example for this is, would start with why is 
you think about Martin Luther King, right? He's like this insane visionary and he would go out and deliver these incredible speeches, but he was not a how person and he would not have had the success that he did if he didn't have Ralph T. Abernathy because Ralph T. Abernathy was the one that came up after Martin Luther King made the speech and he's the one that organized the marches and put people into action. And so I think so often we hire these director of operations, but they don't see our vision and they don't truly own it. And because Andy and I both feel so strongly about this business, um, we're just able to grow it together, right? And do whatever it takes. So whereas I was the visionary in the beginning, now Andy's kind of the visionary. That's something I actually was planning to ask you about because I've heard this story about how you kind of switched roles and it's actually been a joke in my house for like a really long time. So if you were to pull my husband on right now, like he would go, Lindsay always says, why can't you just Leslie Peters with me? Because like it's, so first of all, what is, you're a, a DI, is that what you said on that? An ID. Okay. And what totally is- Really close. What's Andy? He is, this is so funny. He's an IS. That's what Eric His is. S is so high, which is uncommon in a way for a visionary to have such a high S. Yes. Um, just so that's what's always been really interesting about that to me is like, I feel like stereotypically or maybe the way that we're kind of taught, they would tell you that the DEI should be out there as like the face of the company and being the visionary and all of that stuff. But for me, oftentimes, like my high D is like, get out of my way, put me in front of the computer and the systems will be done in two hours. It's just kind of funny because I do think even though the D is supposed to be the visionary, they do really well in that integrator or implementer role as you guys have obviously shown. Yeah. It's so funny because early on, I remember the team leader that actually was responsible for really start jump-starting my career. He said, you are going to be an amazing listing agent. And it's like 2010, of course, I could go in and bag and tag listings all day. And my conversion rates were great, but I hated it. And I remember in the downturn, like 2010, 2011, waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you, you ladies, children, you know, it does that to you. So I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. So I would wake up, go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and check my email. Yep. And if sellers had asked me questions, I would sit there and respond to them and not go back to bed. And then finally go back to bed and couldn't go to sleep because I was so worried about these listings. And so it wasn't until several years later that I started to understand why I was so unhappy in that role of listings. I mean, I was good at it because I was motivated, right? And I could have conversations with clients. I just didn't love it. And I took the AVA. Do y'all know what that is? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, so I took the AVA, this personality profile that digs a lot deeper, right, than the disc. And I started to see that I actually am really analytical and I have a high C that kind of hides in the disc wow. and that conscientiousness component was killing me. Like I felt if I couldn't sell a listing, I mean, it would absolutely like, I just couldn't take it. Like, yeah. and so that was really the turning point for us where we said, 
okay, you clearly don't like listings. Andy doesn't worry about whether we can't sell every listing. He knows we're not going to be able to sell them all, right? So that's when we really switched roles. And I mean, for the first time, guys, I felt like, I mean, I was actually like happy in this real estate gig. I mean, I was actually happy. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I want you to think about if you were to win the lottery tonight, would you come to the office the next day? I ask myself that question all the time. Do you know what my answer is? What yes. Is yes, I would. Me too. I would. I would I would still sell real estate. Me too, Kristen. Yeah. And it's so funny because I wouldn't have done that earlier. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's you've got to find you've got to find your passion and live there. And Lindsay, to your point, like it's okay if it's not selling. Yeah. Yeah. And did you um like two things really quick. So was that a source of contention for you and Andy at all? So like on our show specifically, because we are women and moms, we dive a lot into like the dynamics of all of the things that these jobs do to our home life. So was that a source of contention for you guys? And then also, was there a lot of like internal panicking about not being the finger quotes rainmaker anymore? Was that scary for you too? A little bit. I'll answer that question first because that was hard for me. And and even up until a few years ago, like I struggled with being like Andy's wife. Like, I'm like, I built this thing, you know, like, come on. And um, I think now I'm just kind of like, okay, we're a tag team. We're in this together. If he hadn't had me, like our business wouldn't have grown as much. And if I hadn't had him, honestly, I probably would have stopped at like a hundred and something units and just been happy and had a, had two kids and a great family life. Right. So, so I think it took two of us and I see that, I mean, it's taken two of us to grow this thing to what it is today. So I'm, I'm more comfortable than with that than I was in the past. And then honestly, I think we had more struggles in our relationship when we were both selling Lindsay. The minute I stepped into the operations role, it was like, oh my gosh, like there was so much relief at home because if a phone call came in at night, like he just took it and he knew that my primary role at night was to be with the kids and tuck them in bed, right? So I think honestly, it was like this massive relief for our family that we weren't trying to get childcare all the time to go on listing appointments at night or childcare all the time for me to go on buyer showings on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was almost this like newfound freedom in that. Yeah. Um, and he's a maximizer personality. So he's like phone calls, having a long list of phone calls to make at night just doesn't stress him out. He just maximizes it and gets it done. And if I have a long list of phone calls to make at night, my kids are not going to get my full attention because I am going to be so stressed out about those phone calls. So I think we've really started to understand like where our personalities and strengths lie and how that can be beneficial for the team and, you know, at home. That's incredible. So now that you are running a big team and you guys also have market centers that you're running, how did you start building the team? Who was the first person you added? Did you follow the Keller Williams model? Um, you know, 
what was your what was your process like and how did you have any growing pains when you were building them and what did you learn from that yeah i love that question we've absolutely followed the model um our very first hire actually doubled our business wow. so in the downturn 2010 andy and i both closed 33 units that year and we went from individually i closed 24 then added him and we only closed 33 and a lot of people are like well gosh like andy laughs and says i didn't make that much of a difference but you have to remember that our database was the same and we were so heavy database business i bet 90 95 percent of our business back then was our database so that didn't make a huge unit difference so in 2011 we made our first hire and it was an executive assistant And when we hired her for the first time, I really jumped into the marketing side of the business. So I started running a 33 touch program. So we were touching our database 33 times a year, made a massive impact. I mean, we went from 33 to 65 units in a year. And, you know, a lot of times people think that your operations people can't lead generate, yet I have always been the primary lead generator on our team. So in 2011, when I got relief and on that admin hire, I was lead generating probably two hours a day. And then that coupled with running that 33 touch program is just what like kickstarted our entire, our entire business. And then we get to 66 units and with our admin and we're still kind of exhausted. Like we're like, gosh, we, we need to keep hiring. Yet we didn't really want to. I think at that point we were comfortable and there was this point, I'll never forget this, so funny. We went into our coach's office, our like little productivity coach. She became the team leader shortly thereafter, but we went into her office and she looked at me and she said, Leslie, what do you guys do when sign calls come in? And I laughed and I said, I pray they have an agent. And she said, say that again? And I said, yeah, I pray they have an agent. And she said, you're not kidding. And I said, no, I was like, Robin, there are only so many hours in a day. We are all completely maxed out. And I do, I mean, I pray they have an agent. And she looked at me and she said, honey, have you ever thought that all those leads that you're just dropping on the ground could make it an incredible life for someone else? Mm. And I mean, I like tears welled up in my eyes because I never looked at it from like, I was being selfish and Gary Keller tells us all the time, like we're selfish if we don't let our business grow to the extent that it should and could like we're being selfish. And in that moment, like I was being selfish, like, so we got really clear on how many leads we were just dropping to the ground. And we went out and we started throwing rental leads. Remember, this is like still kind of downturn. We're just coming out of it. And we started throwing rental leads to a lot of the newer agents. And we were just watching them. And there was one agent in particular that's still with us today, Jenny Mosier. And she would close rental leads and come back to our door and say, okay, I'm ready for another one. And I mean, making like $300 on these rental leads. I'm like, I want her on our team. And our team leader at the time said, well, why would she join your team? Like she can do this on her own. Mm -hmm. And Robin, that productivity coach said, Hey, if you can give her the life that she wants, I believe she will join your team. So we snuck in her office after hours and took a picture of her vision board. And she wanted a used Audi and an iPad. 
and $75,000. So I went home that night and Andy and I created an Excel spreadsheet and we said, Jenny, will you meet with us about joining our team? And we took that Excel spreadsheet to her and we said, we don't think you can make 75. Like we think you can make 150 on our team. And she was 26 years old. And she's like, I mean, her husband didn't want her to do it because he wanted it to be the Jenny Moser show. So we took him to dinner. We, we talked him into our big vision, right? And her first full year with us, she closed, uh, she closed 44 units and made $250,000 and she was 27 years old. Oh, that was her first full year. That's awesome. That's it awesome. Was incredible. So she was our first buyer they didn't hire. And then, um, we continued the growth, but I'm going to be honest, like we hit millionaire real estate agent status really entrepreneurially in 2013. And in 2014, we went backwards and it was only the four of us. It was our assistant, Andy, myself, and Jenny. And we did 125 units in 2013. And then in 2014, we were so exhausted. We just fell on our face. And that's the year that I think we said, we just got lucky, right? Like we've got to get purposeful. So we hired our first coach in 2014 who has changed our life. We still coach with him today. We have two coaches today. Um, and then he said, when he came in, the first thing he flew to Atlanta actually, and he met with our team for a full day and he's looking at all of our books. And he said, man, you guys are making lots of money and you have no time to spend it. And we're like, yeah, you're so right. And so that became the year of committing to working on the business. So yes, we went backwards in production, but we hired our second assistant that year, two buyer's agents, and all three of them are still with us today. So Jenny, um, when she came on that first year, were you guys spending a ton of money to generate leads for her? Or were you just like going back through and finding all those places where they were falling through the cracks? It was honestly, Lindsay, just leads that were falling through the cracks. That we, I mean, we spent no extra money on lead generation with her. We added her database, obviously, and started marketing to them. And yet she was so young at that time, her, and not from Atlanta. So her database wasn't really performing in those early years. And now her database is really performing well. It was no extra leads. It was sign calls and open houses and... I mean, she proved herself so quickly that she could take such excellent care of the client. Even, I mean, in some ways she was taking better care of these clients than we were. Yeah. Cause and you were, so no, we just, yeah. yeah, we just started turning them over. So I think that's a super common misconception that people have that, um, they get really panicky about bringing on their first buyer's agent or the second or the third or whatever, because they feel like they have to be pumping enough money through some type of lead generation tactic that's going to make it rain for the buyer's agent and they can't get comfortable with the fact that they probably already have enough business there to support somebody. I love that point too, because so many times like we go pay for all these leads and when we have an abundance of leads, we actually find that our agents get a little lazy because they know if they don't convert that one, it's okay because there's one just right after. And so for us on our team, I'm really watching daily our lead count. In fact, our director of operations every day has to send me um, the revenue for the current month, 
in the next few months, what revenue is coming in, how it's changed, and how many leads we've generated that day, and what our deficit is. So for us, I know that every agent, I want at least 25 leads coming in a month. And so right now, our um, standard every month is 200 leads. And we've got to do whatever we can, because we've got eight agents, so whatever we can to get to 200. And we're watching that report daily. But I mean, you don't think of things like open houses, right? I mean, if our agents do an open house every weekend, I mean, that's going to be a good lead source, a good lead generation source, their database, which most of our um, agents that have come to us, they've never marketed to their database before, ever. And so we start marketing to their database with a seven to cement plan. So we basically send their database seven touches in seven weeks to make sure that they realize that that agent is a part of the Peters company. And then we roll them out on a 36 touch plan and they see their databases perform better than they ever have because of that. So when you first got your buyer's agent and you got her database and then you were, you said you were, that buyer's agent was picking up your old leads or dropped leads. Was she coming in on a schedule every day and calling those old leads? Was that a requirement for your team? What was your requirement for her? We have always been so loose on lead generation standards. I wish we could say we're like buttoned up and everybody's there from a certain time to a certain time every day. Um, we're kind of scattered throughout Atlanta. And with our traffic patterns, like some people could be an hour from the office if they're or an hour and a half if they're a rush hour. And so we just always said it's 55 contacts a week. So I don't, they do come in now once a week, but it's 55 contacts a week and we're really just having them lead generate to their database. So if they're not hitting like, so what is your requirements for your team? Like if they're not hitting that 55 every week for three weeks, are they done? Are you monitoring that? What is your requirements for your team? So our requirements for our team are three binding agreements a month for our buyer's agent. Now, our listing agent's opposite. I think he's eight a month. So by the 15th of the month, if they haven't bound at least one transaction, then they go to daily accountability. And they go backwards and start looking at their appointments. Because we know we watch bindings and appointments and then contacts. So we're really saying, okay, are you getting two appointments every single week? And if you haven't been on four appointments by the 15th of the month, then we've got to up your contact number. So it's really just holding them in line to their contacts, appointments, and bindings. Does that answer your question? And then they go to daily accountability. So they have to get on the phone in the morning and the afternoon with our director of sales, which is Jenny. And they talk through what they did that day. Absolutely. That does answer it. I have, I want to sit here and just pick your brain because I'm a husband and wife team too. And we don't have a massive team. It's just us. Um, So what do you, what's your turnaround rate on buyer's agents? Cause that's, we started to form a team and it just, I can't sit there and train somebody. I, I don't, I'm a D I'm a high D. I don't want to sit there and train somebody. I just want to throw it at them and be like, just do it. So I think that's part of the problem why I don't have a team. Um, so what is your turnaround rate and how do you train them? Yeah. Andy laughs and says, that is literally what I did when he came on. I just threw him everything and I said, I don't have time to train you. So just do it. <laughs> And I mean, that's horrible because I'm a teacher. 
I mean, and now like I'm teaching across the country more than I do anything else probably. And I love that, but I don't have the patience to like sit down and handhold someone Same. and those type people just aren't going to be successful on our team. So we need go-getters on our team that are going to come in. They're not going to require handholding. They're going to ask questions. They're going to um, be self-starters. Someone said, I think it was Seth Campbell. He said recently, he said, um, I want to hire people on my team that will be successful with or without me. Right. And That's so great. that to me is huge huge, right? Like I can't hire someone where I'm saving them and the fallout we found when agents don't work on our team, it's been because they look at us as their savior. Like we're going to come in, we're going to provide them like just all these transactions and we're going to keep them from having to go back to corporate America. Right. So from now on, like we don't take people that weren't successful on their own. Like you've got to have some level of success on your own or be brand new, right? Um, Because I find sometimes that the brand new agents are are great. They don't have bad habits. Right. To train them exactly how you would like them to be trained. Retention, typically if they make it with us six months, then they're going to be with us a, a good while. So for... Four of our agents have been with us four or more years. And the other four, we have two that we just hired three months, no, two months ago, two that we just hired this year. And then the other two have been with us about two years. Nice. So our retention is pretty strong, but I think it goes back to hiring. Like I can't hire anyone that I'm saving. Yeah. They've got to want it. So you've touched on a couple of times, um, the business grew during the last recession is what I'm hearing from you. So I want to touch on that right now, since we are in this shifting market and I want to hear what some of your biggest tips are for real estate agents as we head into kind of uncharted territory for these last seven years. Yeah. I think we've been successful with our database through the years and just with clients in general, because we've cared for them. And it's never about the transaction for us. It's always about just bringing them value and how we can serve them. And right now reminds me just of our shift in 2008, right? I'm not calling every person in my database saying, who do you know that wants to buy, sell, or invest in real estate? Like that just is not my style and it never has been. I just always come from a servant's heart. Um, One of my favorite sayings is stop marketing and start serving. And as soon as you do that, the business just comes. So for us right now, we're just staying in touch with our clients. We're, we're calling them, we're checking on them, just our database in general. And then I also think instead of who do you know that wants to buy or sell real estate, you're, when you call someone, they always say, so how's the real estate market, right? When you're calling your friend, like they're genuinely curious. And right, right. now they're like, oh my gosh, I bet you guys aren't busy. I bet it's really slow. And I'm like, actually, it's not. We've listed 12 houses in the past two weeks and 11 out of the 12 are under contract. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's sharing good news because so often the media does not share 
the best news, right? They want us to live in fear. So we watch the news all the time. And so it's our job to be that voice of reason for our database. And I mean, my calls this week have been, we put 32 houses under contract this month. And I think 20 of them have been in the past like two and a half weeks. So houses are still selling and just really educating people. Right. It's bringing value because here's the thing, like when we come out of this, there are going to be people that have to buy and have to sell. Yep. They're going to remember the person that cared for them when it was tough. So how can we do that? Um, You guys didn't ask me this, but we events are huge for us. Like it is my favorite thing because we get to dive into the marketing because I I get your, um, your email tips and I've been to your marketing class at Family Reunion. So dive into the marketing. That's my jam. I love it. Oh, I love it. Okay. Thank you for giving me permission to talk about that. (laughs) I, I love it. So our events are my favorite. We do four main events a year for our entire Met database, 2000 plus people are invited. And I just love it because we get toe to toe and belly to belly with people. We typically have about 200 to 300 people at these events. And we had to cancel too this year. We just canceled our Easter egg hunt, which was supposed to be this past weekend. And we've canceled our Derby party. And so I've been on the phone with our director of marketing almost every day saying, how can we replace these events and how can we bring value to our people and stay in front of them? So we're doing a couple of things. Our Easter egg hunt, um, we had already stuffed 3,000 Easter eggs, Oh, 3,000 with candy. And so I told our team last week, I said, you know what? We're going to deliver them. So we're delivering to 135 families and it's this cute little thing. I'm, we created it yesterday. It said, you've been egged. And it said, thank you for being an extra special um, peep in our life or something. I don't know. It's anyway. And if you, if you need exceptional service for you or your friends or family during this time of crisis, give us a call. Love your friends at the Peters company. And we're going to deliver those to those doors over the next week and just stay in touch and just add value to people because it's just a tough time. Um, my daughter is 10 and she's going to do a Zoom this week on Thursday, actually, with our database's children. And she's going to um, share with them how she's created a vision board every year for the past five years. So she's put a PowerPoint together and she's going to do that. Um, Kaylin is coming to that, by the way. Yay! <laughs> he saw that and was like, I want to go. I'm so glad. Okay, we'll see you there Thursday. Um, so we're just trying to be creative and think outside the box and how can we reach people during this time? That's not, do you want to buy or sell real estate? Do you want to buy or sell real estate? Because that's not how I want to be remembered. So I'm going to kind of like give one of my secrets. You guys have kind of already known this, but when I, when I get a client, a buyer or seller, or they refer to our team a lot, they're our number one referral person. I add them on Facebook. And then I have a group, a private group on Facebook, and it's called the Elite Teams MVPs. And if you have sold or bought a house through us, or if you're our number one referral person, you're added to that group. I, every so often I'll talk to them through that group, you know, just to kind of keep it, you know, going. Well, now that this has happened with this whole virus, I have been giving them market updates every single day. I've been doing videos with them every single day. I've been giving them updates on our city. I've been giving them updates on how how prices are going in our area. 
and I'm getting so much feedback from them. They're emailing me, they're texting me and they're saying, Kristen, this is awesome. We're super scared of our values falling and watching what you're doing is amazing. I've gotten so much feedback from that than I have in anything else that I've ever done. So that's a little like sneak awesome. tip that you can do. And it's awesome. so easy. Today. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, Angela, did you have a question? I did. Um, so I was going to ask you, so because everything is changing so much um, and you're doing the um, Easter egg hunt, Jess actually um, did that as well um, for her clients. And I stole that idea a little bit too. So um, what are some other things that we can do virtually that we don't have to be in person for marketing wise for our clients? Like what are some ways that we can provide value without physically having to be in front of them and touching them? <laughs> Love it. So one thing, and you just kind of brought this up, Kristen, but so many people are freaking out about their home values right now and keeping current matters. Do any of you get that? I don't actually get it, but our team leader shared it with me. There was this, there were like five tips or five reasons that this crisis is not going to be like 2008 and it's very calming and super logical and our team leader actually shared it with our market center. And I thought, gosh, this is great content. I'm going to build a PowerPoint around it and I'm going to share it with our database. So I recorded like an eight minute video. It was zoom of me just going through this PowerPoint and just hopefully calming people that it's not going to be like that. We're going to do a similar type. Um, we're calling it a fireside Facebook live chat. And Andy and I are going to go live with our database in two weeks, I think, on a Thursday night at 530 BYOB and just come listen to what the state of the real estate market in Atlanta. And then two, I think we have to remember that kids are home right now. Ah, right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so hard for us parents to be their constant source of entertainment and juggle all the homeschooling that we're currently doing. So we've been trying to think of things for kids. So just like I mentioned with Veda's vision board, um, next, we added a kids club in our newsletter. We're going to do a scavenger hunt next month mm -hmm. and let them have printable like scavenger hunt sheets in the newsletter so they can go out through their neighborhood and just kind of do a fun scavenger hunt. Kids love that. And then we're also, um, we just released our consumer app at Keller Williams. And so we really want to make a push for that. So I told Christina, our director of marketing, I said, let's do something fun. Like let's send a postcard, but instead of just advertising this new consumer app, let's have a coloring page on one side of the postcard. And we're having an iPhone. Actually, it's going to be a big coloring page that looks like the iPhone. And it's going to have the normal apps like phone, mail, weather, right? And then the new consumer app. And then we're going to ask kids to draw all their favorite apps and submit it for a coloring contest. And we'll give away probably 30 prizes. So we're just trying to think outside the box a little bit on how to get families involved and not, and just bring value to them in some way. Yeah, as a mom, I'm super overwhelmed right now. Um, this morning was my first morning starting teaching. Um, I was not awake for school. I slept through my entire school career. Um, so now teaching it is basically like right up there with hell for me. Um, so I'm trying to figure out <laughs> earth I'm going to teach these kids because a, I should probably be listening. Um, and B, like, 
I, I'm lost. Like math wise, like I can calculate anything by percentages and I can tell you how many square feet are in an acre, but everything else, like same. I don't use it, so I don't see value in it. So it's really hard for me. So something that we're gonna be doing, um, my husband is a linguist, he's also a realtor, but he's an Arabic linguist. And so for our family, it's always been really important to do language stuff. So I think we're gonna be sending my clients, um, all of them, like a Duolingo app um, and then prepaying for a certain amount so that they can have their kids on there every day and learn a language. So at least it's something that they can do in the next two, three, three, maybe four weeks that they could probably learn a whole language in that time. And that would probably be something that's of value to them, maybe. That's so cool. How are your agents doing? Are your agents right now in panic mode? Like, are you having to spend a lot of time keeping the state of calmness within the team? It's really odd. Somebody asked us this question yesterday and you guys know, like they all seem to have these really positive mindsets. And I think it's because they've been binding deals and they've been busy. I think there is a little fear when they're looking at their future pipelines. Cause we've really seen leads dry up mm -hmm. um, the past few weeks. Like we have a deficit of, of about 50 leads this month. So they definitely feel that yet they're just kind of staying in a positive headspace. And I think a lot of that is we're over communicating with our team and our market centers right now. So we're bringing them so much training and so much value. And our director of sales is on the phone with every one of them at least once a day. We're actually deemed essential in Georgia, which has been nice. And so we even had a few today. They're so high eye, like they hate being alone. They're at the office lead generating today and they're staying six feet apart. And they just said, Leslie, can we please go to the office? And I said, as long as you guys feel comfortable and you follow the six foot distancing and there's not more than 10 of you in there at a time, I'm fine. So they're there today and they're going to go back Thursday. And, um, we have a call every morning and we've done this for the past couple of years as a team. And I think it's been really instrumental in keeping the team on the same page with a positive mindset. It's at 830 and we call it our win plan call. So when we first rolled it out, our team was so frustrated about it. They were like, I can't believe we have to call in every morning at 830 and <laughs> this is going to take forever and I don't want to do this. Right. And the first day, the call took seven minutes for all 15 of us. And we've been doing it for over two, I guess over two years. But what we do is everyone on the team is assigned a certain day and we assign them on a month, monthly basis. And the person that's leading the call just goes around and calls every single person on the team. And it would be like, Lindsay, what's your win plan? And Lindsay would say like, well, my win from yesterday is getting a house under contract. And my plan today is two buyer consults. And then the operations team is participating in this also, and they're telling their win from yesterday and their plan for today. And then whoever, whoever's day it is that's leading the call, they bring some inspirational message at the end. And so each person's probably doing two days a month. And that's just been huge for us. I mean, no longer do we have salespeople not knowing what the operations people do. And so often I, I I'm getting tongue tied. So often I think that our operations people don't see our sales people. So they're just kind of like, well, what are they doing? You know, and it's put all of us on the same page because everybody's communicating and knows what's going on in each other's lives. 
So that's been huge and has really helped with mindset. I love that. It's, um, I don't know. It's just such a, it's such a weird climate. Like I was in business in the recession the last time around and I'm trying to remember what my mindset was like then, but that felt like a much kind of slower role. This happened really, really quickly. I feel like most people are staying positive right now, but I think you're right. When they look towards the future, it gets a little bit panicky right now for them. And I think a lot of people are worried about what their teams are going to do. Like, are my teams going to shutter the doors and will they still take care of me? I mean, I'm going to have to go do this by myself, you know? So um, I definitely think as a team leader that positivity and um, calmness has to come from the top down right now, extra for sure. How has what's going on with the world right now? How have you guys on your team um, started to implement some different things for outside of the box thinking and what kinds of things are you doing? And do you think that you're going to keep doing them after we get back to some sense of normalcy? Yeah. Or do you think it's going to be something you just go back to the way it was? Yeah. I think some things will change for the better, right? Out yeah. of all of this. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, think about being like on an airplane. I think this is how we have to is like team owners and rainmakers right now is like when you're an air on an airplane and there's extreme turbulence, right? I mean, the flight is just like bouncing all over the place. Who do you look at? The, the stewardesses. I don't know if that's the, the flight attendant, flight. right? right. You, you look at the flight attendant and you're like looking at their reaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how our team members are looking at us right now. That's like perfect. they're looking at us to see if we're panicking and we're in fear and they're going to model our behavior. And so for us, we've just been really calm and it's control what you can control. Can you control your contacts? Can you control your virtual presentation? So that goes into your question. How great are our virtual presentations? And what do those look like? And one thing that we've been telling our team is this is such a great opportunity for us to learn to do a virtual presentation that makes the client feel welcomed and makes the client feel confident in our ability. And the great news is if they're doing it on Zoom, they can press record and then share it with our director of sales and they can rewatch their presentation back and say, okay, what did, what could I have done better? So, I mean, in terms of skill, there's so much opportunity in this um, scripting. When we're lead generating, can we press record and just listen to our calls with sellers that are calling in about selling their home or buyers, right? Um, what are our scripts? And so, and for us too, we're doing virtual open houses, which I think a lot of people across the country are doing. We yeah. actually um, have an offer on a property right now because of a virtual open house we did. So I think there's going to be a lot of um, game changers that come out of all this in terms of real estate and how it can be done differently. Well, just I did um, virtual Facebook live open houses two weeks ago and I, I don't know what her stats are, but like on mine, we, I had, 1500 views and over 900 of them watched the entire 30 minutes that I talked. So like I, that makes me go, why have I not like that is it's a hundred times literally the traffic that I would ever receive at a real open house. So why haven't we been doing this 
all along. So I definitely think that, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention and we're going to get better through this, but it's bumpy for sure. Right. I think, I think a big aha um, for anybody that's been in this business for a long time is to still stick with your numbers and realize that those numbers are probably going to shorten a little bit and you're going to have to have a different conversation with those clients than you did two weeks ago. And I think people who've been in the real estate business should realize that going forward. I sat down the other day because I freaked out. I was like, okay, we have barely any closings for April. Where is my pipeline? So I sat down the other day and I realized I have between 15 and 20 clients in my pipeline right now. And the thing that I had an aha moment about with those 15 to 20 clients is out of those 20 clients, the listings, they still want to sell. The buyers, they can't buy right now because they're out of a job for the next 30 to 40 days, or they want to hold on to their cash because of what's going on. They may have to be making rent payments here soon, so they don't want to go and invest that money anymore. So I had a huge aha it's now sellers. You need to get as many sellers and prospect as many sellers as you can to get out there because there are still buyers. You could still get conventional buyers. You could still get some cash buyers. You just got to market correctly and you got to think differently going forward, which kind of excites me. I saw Jason Abrams and I'm totally going to butcher this. I'm sorry, (laughs) but it was like one of the most impactful things that I've ever seen someone teach on and he wasn't, he was actually talking about the tech disruption that has been happening over the last couple of years in real estate, but he was talking about like the cycle of normalcy. So anytime that there's a disruption, the disruption happens and then things get really, really scary and you see some fallout happening from people leaving the business and it's really hard to maintain your mental space. But regardless of whatever the disruption is, which is what we're in right now, it normalizes. So whether or not coronavirus lasts for an extended period of time, it will normalize. Whether it goes back to finger quotes normal soon, it will normalize and stabilize a little bit. So I've been trying to just keep that forefront in my mind that yes, this is an enormous disruption, but things will calm down. Whatever the new normal, Mm-hmm. I do think in some ways that things will be different walking out of this than when we went into it, but it will, it's going to calm down a little bit and we just have to hang in there until it does. And we get right. to That was a good explanation of that. He's really smart. He is. He needs to come on our show. We've asked him <laughs> 57 times and he accepts us and then he disappears. So please, <laughs> you hear this, come on. Um, I wanted to ask because it's just something that, so I was there when you were, I think it was mega camp when you were on stage at the main, at the main stage for the first time. I just wanted to ask what that experience was like, because that is, that will always be on my vision board, I think. Um, so what was that like for you getting up there in front of a hundred plus thousand agents and speaking on the main stage? Um, we had actually weird how that even came to be. We were teaching our 36 touch class that we teach all over. And one of the team leaders actually emailed Gary and it was two weeks before mega camp. And he emailed Gary and he said, Hey, I I just want you to know that Leslie and Andy Peters are doing a great job teaching this content. And they were in our market center this week and it was amazing. And Gary had his assistant Mindy call us and 
I'll never forget you guys. I was getting my son a haircut. Like I was at, I, I remember where I was when I got the message from Mindy and I listened to it and she said, Hey, Leslie, it's Mindy. She said, would either you or Andy call me back? She said, um, I want to talk to you guys about this 36 touch class you've been teaching. And we were like, Oh no, we're in trouble. And so we got on the phone with her and she said, okay, Gary wants to jump on a call with you. Can you talk to him next week? Jump on a call with Gary. And he's like, this is amazing. I want it on the main stage at mega camp next week. And you've got 15 minutes. And so we were like, Oh my gosh. And I mean, we, we had been in Gary's mastermind group for a while at that point. Um, but I don't think he really knew who we were actually until that moment. And then this year we actually got invited back again to the main stage and um, we were just telling our real estate story. So that both times fun. The first time I was really nervous. And once I got up there, I was fine. Um, the second time I didn't have time to be nervous because Gary was running an hour early and we were actually getting coffee when he called us to the main stage. So we ran the entire way and we were late to meet Gary on stage. And as we're running, he's saying, Andy and Leslie, where are you? You know, super embarrassing. We oh. survived. Nobody knew that Gary was literally an hour early and we weren't even supposed to be back there yet. What is it? Like when you started building the business as big of visionaries as you guys both are, did you imagine all of this happening? Like, was that on your vision board? Like, did you see it going there? No. In fact, I, I get out my millionaire real estate agent book a lot. And when we're teaching, I show people this all the time. My team leader, when he, the first team leader that actually hired me, he wrote in the front of my book, he's like, um, amaze, you're going to have an amazing real estate career. And he kept telling me, he's like, there's this, um, there's these two ladies down the hall and they do like 750 a year in gross commission income. And that's going to be you. And I never believed that, like, never really thought about it. And um, I, I think it just, once people just are so confident that you're going to do well and they're pouring into you, and if you're learning based and you're following the model, it just kind of happens. And then you look up one day and you're like, I, I can't even believe this. I mean, it, it's truly changed our life. And I mean, it's changed the life of our family. I mean, what we're able to give our kids. And I mean, just from mindset perspective, like we've done future selves with both of our kids. Our kids have done vision boards for five years. I mean, our mindset, I mean, being so learning based, like I would never be where I am today if it weren't for the amazing people that have poured into us over the past 14 years. So if you, on that note, had any advice for the women that are usually our audience right now that are listening to this show and right in this moment are probably even more overwhelmed than they would be on a daily basis because of all the stuff that's going on and the kids at home, um, what would you say to them to get them to keep pushing through and to not quit and to make it through this time? It's so hard. I feel like, especially us moms, like we have so much mom guilt. And I see working moms, and I think my educator background has helped me a lot um, with this, but so many working moms feel this just constant guilt. And so when they're home and they're with their kids, they feel like they have to give their kids absolutely everything. 
in terms of attention and things and they just kind of dote on them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that um, has really served me well is I haven't done that. Like I've raised really independent kids. And I mean, y'all, my kids at four years old were fixing their own breakfast. Fixing. Don't y'all like my southernness? Um, <laughs> I love were, it. <laughs> they were cooking their own breakfast. Like they were getting up and getting themselves dressed. And um, we as moms don't have to do it all. And we don't have to do it all well. And we have to live in this counterbalance, right? When we're at work, I'm going to do the best dang job I can. And when I'm at home, I'm going to do the best dang job I can. But we can't live in this constant sense of guilt because I look so much at my career and I think, yeah, I've worked long hours and there's been a lot of nights that they haven't been the center of my universe. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of nights that I've been on the phone with clients and I've missed little things. Yet I look at their life and I have given them a life that I never thought possible. Mm -hmm. Like the places we've been, I mean, the things we've done, the lessons they've learned. And so I think as moms, we've got to give ourselves grace and we've got to say, you know what? Like I've got to raise kids, but our kids can be independent and they need to be. And right. how can we raise independent self-sufficient kids that turn into incredible adults that don't rely on their parents for everything. I love, um, that makes me want to cry actually, but mm -hmm. I, I love, I hope that people caught you saying that you loop your children into being as big of a thinker as you are. So that would be like an incredible thing for people that haven't done that or are, you know, maybe doing it to step it up a little bit more right now, but Bring your kids into your office with you while you're working. Do vision boards together, you know, um, work on a marketing campaign together for the kids, just like you said you're doing with, with yours. Like the opportunity um, right now for them to be home with us for an extended period of time, it's tough and it's hard, but if you look at it on the flip side, it's also an incredible opportunity for us to pour what we believe and what we think into them right now. So loop them into everything you're already doing. I love that. I think chores too are so important, like in chores for our business. Um, my daughter is actually going to go with me in an hour. She's finished with school by like 12 or one o'clock every day. And I'm taking her to the office and we're going to stuff Easter eggs this afternoon. I think giving your kids a sense of like, this is a family business. Like we're all working together and there's no free lunch. And I mean, just giving kids chores and, and teaching them the things, bring them into your business life. I mean, Lindsay, that's so true. I mean, we take for granted all we know and it can impact them so much. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for spending so much time with us. I'm going to be buzzing around for the rest of the day. I'm so excited because it was so wonderful to have you here. We really, really appreciate your time. And I know that everybody will get a ton out of what you said. So thank you for everything. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Thanks. Be surrounded by you guys. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you soon. We love Bye, you. Guys. Bye, guys. Bye. We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco.